The following program is recommended for ages 18 and over due to adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind the Scenes, a look at some of the sometimes steamy inside of Hollywood with your host, Hollywood executive and former Victoria's Secret model, Summer Helene. Our program features the gossip, the dish, and the stories of what's really going on behind your favorite movies, television shows, and celebrities from the people who are involved in the industry. Now, here is your host, Summer Helene. Do you have a desire to be famous? Do you want hordes of people screaming your name? Then ask your therapist if Hollywood's right for you. Hollywood, where you can work your entire first year as an unpaid intern, followed by a mandatory minimum 18-hour workday with guaranteed unpaid overtime. Where sexual assault is so common, you get to sign a waiver promising not to sue even before you start your new job. Warning, side effects may include insomnia, heavy drug use, thousands of dollars in therapy, alcoholism, bulimia, obesity, hallucinations, loss of integrity, complete loss of moral compass, bleeding from the fingernails after trying to claw your way to the top, as well as excessive trapping of the lips from kissing everyone's arse. If you have these or any other side effects or begin to question your life choices, please contact your therapist. Because nobody in Hollywood gives a damn. Hollywood, shut up and take it. G'day guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Summer Helene, and I'm just thinking that could go for being an influencer as well, actually. It's, well, I guess an influencer now is part of Hollywood. We are on with my co-host, who is in timeout because I'm very mad at him, Bear Fjorda. Welcome. Bad Bear. I'm an adult. I don't get timeouts. <laughs> it's like trying to ground I'm taking the microphone away from you. There you go. You've lost custody of the microphone. Yeah, we can't even hear you from all the way over there. I'm trying to fight her for the microphone. He's trying to fight me for the microphone. He's losing. See how you can hear me this and he's just... This is why def- we need to. No. No microphone for you. You need to stop making faces. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, no, it's okay. Aside from being in the doghouse as of recently, there's been a lot going on. And the first thing I want to bring up is I read that Kate Middleton was wearing some of princess diana's jewelry to an event called Earthshot, and the reason why i thought this is a good thing to open up is because we talked a lot about uh the royals especially when the passing of the queen occurred and when uh Meghan on, on behalf of um america hollywood really on behalf of hollywood because i'm australian i do want to apologize to the united kingdom the commonwealth uh, and the royal family personally for 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 uh megan markle I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough. Anyways, um, the reason why I thought it was important to bring up is because she, I believe personally that Megan went out of her way to do everything she could to try and step into Diana's shadow and draw attention to herself using that point. And I thought it was almost maybe, not maybe she was trying to do it backhandedly, but a little bit cheeky of her. Because I don't know how often she wears Diana's things. Uh, Kate Who? Middleton does all the time. All the time. Okay, is that a common thing in the? Yeah, even family? her, even her uh, engagement ring was Princess Diana's. Oh, by the way, I think it's hilarious that she's getting. I, I bet she's you it's not Princess it. Diana. It's Diana, Princess of Wales. My I, bad. All right, well, that's mine too. Then I, I just think it's hilarious that she's wearing her stuff out and about in the exact format that uh, Meghan Markle would have loved to have done. Meghan Markle is a disaster. And again, on behalf of Hollywood, I apologize. I'm just saying. I've never never seen anyone handle PR so badly. But I do like the Royals, and I think the Earthshot Prize is wonderful. It is about making the world better, about cleaning up the environment. And I think that is really, really important. That's wonderful. I honestly didn't even have that information. I just remember reading the headline of it and thought, oh, my goodness, that – so to me, it seemed like a bit of a bit of shade, but I guess now after learning that you guys wear each other's jewelry all the time anyways, it's perfectly fine. Half of the jewelry I wear are from dead relatives. The necklace I have on, I got from my grandma Lorraine, who's mm-hmm. passed. It's very common for jewelry to be handed down. All right, that makes sense. Fair enough. I, I uh, lost the point there. But let's move on to the next thing, and that is that Kim Kardashian seemingly uh, is – well, these people are predicting or giving a little bit of insight that she might be – attacking her exes at this point because she's going on and i think it's a bit of a reach liking cryptic 
tweets. Yeah, there's from no way. Things. You see, I didn't think so she's either. She's also not Why? in charge of her own social media. So, Wait, that, so that's... she's not on it at all. No, she's not. She's not in charge of her own social media. You'd think she'd want to have a hands-on kind I'm of I'm sure she'd there. have a hands-on, but Twitter is to her very much a dead platform. The one she'd have uh, a heavier hand okay. in is Instagram. It is but kind she'll like have the Wild it on West everyone. Yeah. She that's the one she'll have the biggest hand on because that's her her payment. But the world's turned into a funny place. Do you know the number one thing affecting men in the United States right now is sexual dysfunction? Where are you going with this? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's affecting you, Bear, but hear me out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually the number one uh, thing affecting men, and it comes from a combination of obesity, okay. junk food, video game time, and porn. And so men are having less sex and masturbating more than they ever have. Okay, wait, I don't, I, I, Again, I eat junk food and I play video games. How long till my dick stops working? Um, by most standards, with the amount of junk food you, yours eats, it should have happened by now. But how does it keep working then? I'm not going to say whether it does you or see, doesn't you work. You see false information. <laughs> These are, what is it? It's fake news. No, it's it's really not. So it is a huge problem. And they're saying it's settling in with men younger and younger. And because of the uh, prevalence of pornography, men are apparently having more difficulty forming relationships. And they're getting more attached to online um, models. Well, you know, it's all that dopamine release. You got, mm -hmm. you got women who are handpicked because they are what's deemed as currently attractive in the modern world. You have them doing uh, various acts that appeal to a wide variety of both men and women for that matter or trans or whoever you consider yourself to be. And so you got these people who are readily available to give you everything you want as consistently as you want. That builds up a huge dopamine response. And as soon as you can't get that, let's say from an actual person who's like, oh, no, I don't want you to stick that corkscrew in my anus. Um, you're not going to find that same release. And so you're going to want to go immediately to that other place that has what you want. And you're not going to enjoy what you have with the person with you, whether it's a girlfriend, a wife, or a one-night stand. So the moral of the story is if your partner's not interested in having sex with you, it's because they're into corkscrews in the ass. Well, what it should tell you is that if your partner is not interested in having sex with you and they are an avid porn watcher, that it more than likely is because they are simply – I don't want to say yeah. I don't want to say resistant to normal sex, like you build up an immunity to something, but definitely it's well, just not it, the it, way they want it anymore. It goes back to what you had said before: you can't smell porn. Sex is work. It yeah. requires interaction with a partner. It requires um, it, it. It requires giving. It requires time. It requires intimacy, and it's much easier, I guess, just to play with your ding dong. It's always easier, I think, to self-pleasure than to enter a relationship. So if you are in one, even if it's not in the stage of sexuality you guys just began, you are already putting in more work than you would have if you just decided to take care of it do yourself because you have to now be concerned with that other person's wants, hopes, desires, and what pleases them sexually. And so when you ignore that, especially if you're in a relationship, it derails. It goes downhill. You guys don't enjoy each other anymore. You don't enjoy each other's time anymore. And one partner ends up becoming resentful. More than likely, it's the partner who is not getting what they want versus the partner who is indulging in the pornography. Here's a fun one. There's a group of men online that call themselves super straight. That, what the uh, fuck is that? It's super straight. It's like guys that are not just straight, like not cisgender, not straight, not, you know, not, not straight. They're super straight. Um, what is the premise of super straight? I don't know. They seem like a now. bunch of incels. But no, the reality what that, what that sounds like to me is they want to suck dick. Like you don't call I, yourself super straight if you don't intend to eat balls daily. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, they actually think that uh, men that perform cunnilingus are gay. That's uh, you know I believe that because they want to perform fellatio. I, that makes total sense to me. They're like, no, I would never do that. I would never eat a woman out. It is beneath that of a man. And that is because you like to eat penis. <laughs> you would work perfectly in ancient Greece. So you think that guys that are against cunnilingus are secretly gay? I think if you call yourself super straight, <laughs> you want dick. That's that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And you're afraid to admit it. So you make up all this other shit to make people think that you are uber masculine. I'll tell you guys who are like, I am alpha male who follow a specific bald ex-kickboxer uh, on the internet, whose name I'm not going to say, but we all probably know who I'm talking about Are you about talking anyways. about the pedo again? Uh, yes, but I can't say because I'm you banned. Can. No. You can. No, you're not on the live stream right now. I don't want my, I don't want my likeness to be ruined. Andrew no, Tate. no, Andrew um, Tate. Andrew Tate's a piece of shit. There you go. And, and I said it. I'd like to remind every time, one, every time we call Andrew Tate a piece of shit <laughs> or use bad language on this show in any way, 
we give money to the Boys and Girls Club of America, the Humane Society of America, and free MMA. We swear because we care. I love his on here. He's like, uh, this is streaming live. I know, but it's it's not going to be blocked. Uh, Bears, the, there are guys that like uh, Andrew Tate, the pedophile, so the that will that actually they... jump on Bears streams and like get him blocked for talking about Andrew Tate in any negative way. I don't know mm-hmm. how he gets that following. But, but anyways, if you, he's I a total creep. Because he appeals to young men. And so it's basically like if you consider yourself to be that alpha male, first of all, sit in the mirror and ask yourself what an alpha male is because I guarantee you won't find a cohesive answer. But otherwise, uh, if you have to go so far in one direction to prove you're a man, to prove you're masculine, if you can't be comfortable with who you are naturally, you have to go out of your way to show everyone how – Fuck how macho you are. Um, it's because you probably are secretly homosexual. That's that's the bottom line. What's wrong with being homosexual? There's nothing, but there is something wrong about trying to play it off and try to make other people feel bad about themselves, claiming you're this uber masculine guy when you know you also want to eat penis. Like, I'm just saying. So the moral of the story is Andrew Tate wants to eat penis. I'd like to say, I Andrew Tate, if you if have he... a problem with that, you're welcome to sue me. You and this church of Scientology <laughs> that I know you belong to. <laughs> How do we know he's part of the Church of Scientology? He's, he's not, but I'm still trying to get the Church of Scientology to sue me. I keep trying. We don't know, but if, if in any case the Church of Scientology doesn't like Andrew Tate and we claim that he's a part of their church, he, they may come and sue us. And sue me, want them to go Scientology, to sue me. You too, Andrew Tate. We know you like penis. We want you. He's, he's one of those like weak-ass guys that are afraid of like gay, right? He's I, one of those weird guys. I think – I think – that Andrew Tate is actually a mastermind and he just found an audience who already believes all this radical shit and then just started posting about it. So you I, don't even think he's legit? No. Okay. I, I, so he's just there's a smart no dude. Way. He's talked about bashing women's faces in to get them to want you sexually. Like there's no way he believes that, but he knows his audience will believe it and he knows he can sell it to them and oh, make money. Oh, so he's like a Tucker Carlson ripoff. Yeah, Do you know when Tucker Carlson started, he no had like a bow tie and sold a little bougie. Now he's like the blue collar guy. I love guys like that. So he's full of shit. Yeah, I truly don't believe Andrew believes, a, you know, a tenth of what he sells on the internet. But he knows he has an audience that eats it up. And so he sells it to them. He sells to the incels. He sells to the young teenage boys who don't know any better and are already confused because of hormones. He sells it to the, the 50-year-old virgins who are virgins because they literally are dicks to everybody and no one wants to be with them anyways. Well, then I'd like to say, uh, so everyone knows, Andrew Tate is a gay Scientologist. <laughs> and uh, both Scientology and Andrew Tate are welcome to sue me for that statement. And I apologize to the gay community. I am totally behind you. I really, you know, I, I don't mean to push Andrew Tate on you. You guys are awesome. He's a cock. And then, and, and now the gay community is going to post a video. On behalf of the gay community, we cannot accept Andrew Tate. <laughs> so we're going to go and pass him off to the transgenders. And the transgenders <laughs> make the same video. And we're going to pass him off to whoever's next. We're going to pass them off to the uh, to the asexuals and we'll just no, keep rolling down gonna, that You're going to have the lesbian communities jump in and just be like, nope. Yeah, absolutely not. That's terrible. All right, guys, we have a very special guest today. Yep, we have Dust or Detroit Urban Survival Tactics on the show again. He's going to be talking about some new things in his life and potentially, hopefully, uh, information about his book that he just released. So we'll be right back after this with Dale Brown. I'm Summer Helene. You're on with me and my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage who's still in trouble and getting a timeout because he pissed me off today, Bear Fiora. We'll be right back after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. 
It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes. That makes sense. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, who's still in a timeout, and I will not give him back the microphone because he's been bad. Bear Fiora. I, I have the mic. Don't worry. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> and our very, very <laughs> special guest, Dow Brown, Detroit Urban Survival That's what I was trying to say. How are you doing today, sir? Excellent. How are you guys doing? Great to hear you guys again. It's good to, it's really, really good to chat with you. I know Bear had a really good time when you guys were shooting stuff. Um, yes. So welcome to the show. You have a new book out. Yes, I Detroit want to start Urban with that. Survival Chronicles. And what is, is the book about? It's about the past um, 35 stories uh, chosen for the first book, and it's going to be other other books as well, that just talks about you know, the, the actual ways we use the training in real life to protect people's lives and create safety as safely as possible. And a lot of it's violence related. And a lot of it is, you know, how we learned what worked and what didn't. And uh, you'll see in the book, you're here, actually, the, the actual story uh, is about the reality of what actually happened. You know, these are different actual real life stories of violence and criminality and how we managed it. I was I was gonna make I was gonna make a joke and be like, well, if you've got violence, all you need is a topless uh, Trisha Paytas, and then you have sex and violence, and it'll sell well. But these stories are really, <laughs> really serious, and like you got all serious. I'm like, oh, I, I can't. Some of them are funny too. Some of them are funny. Oh, like, there's some funny. Okay. Funny stuff, <laughs> real stuff, stuff. Real, real life stuff can be really funny. It's, it's bizarre. Is there a story in particular you want, uh, you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Something you may want to highlight that people would find in the uh, in the book. Um, there's, um, you know, one of the stories you're going to see in the book that's, that's most vital is how I made a transition from, you know, um, teaching people in the neighborhood on the east side of Detroit, which they called Crack Alley, how to defend themselves against violent criminals, and how I became the leader of an organization that physically protected the community, and how I created an organization of men and women volunteers to go out and fight the violent individuals and gangs using our training system. And that is um, that. That story is um, is in there. It's about um, uh, essentially a, a young lady who was attacked, and she was attacked literally in front of me. And um, I did not stop her from being attacked. She was attacked at the corner, a major corner um, street in Detroit, very close to where the the mayor lives. And <clears throat> I was told not to interfere in any violence in the neighborhood by a sergeant on the Detroit Police Department. So I did not help this young girl who was being attacked by a mob of women, adult women, and um, this uh, resulted in her being severely injured, chemically burned and beaten in public for 45 minutes while I repeatedly called the police and while other people repeatedly called the police, and that's because I was specifically threatened and told not to interfere in any activities on the public streets. And we were security, I already got the security deal for the building owner, from the building owners to protect the buildings, but I did not have uh, enough understanding of my mission yet to, uh, to, to not allow something to interfere in helping people. And that's the story that will, uh, will resonate uh, with people to see like how we made the transition and why. And that's because once, once it was clear to me that there was not going to be any assistance for this young lady and her mother and uh, that there was no protection that was going to happen, I then decided never to allow that to happen again. And that's, you'll read in depth about that, about how, 
you know, I, I took them to the police station and uh, the police were not helpful at all. And, um, you know, since that time period, by the way, things are a lot different now in Detroit. The police are much more helpful nowadays than they were. And they've been very helpful lately. So this is 27 years ago, 26 years ago. And so uh, I've developed a really good relationship with the law enforcement community in general. And I've had over 100 police officers work for me. And I still have employees that are police officers now currently. And um, jiu instru- uh, uh competitors and uh, people that are in the, the sports fighting world are also employees as well. And um, But back in those days, we just started, there was some animosity and some, some resistance to physical protection for the community. And so as you're going to read about, it's how we made the transition and how things cultivated into you know, what it is today where we're able to, you know, protect thousands of people, not just one community, but multiple communities throughout Detroit and create safety safely. I think that's incredible. But I, I have one question in regards to that is, did you at the time start this because you found the police were maybe too ineffective at their in their position to handle and take care of the public? Well, there are so few police officers. No. Yeah, no, I, I actually thought the police were um, protection. So I was mistaken thinking that you go there and you'd say, you know, one, one, one aspect of it was I thought, you know, you just go there and say the problem and then they're going to go there before the problem turns into something worse. Right. But in reality, mm. <clears throat> the metrics is that they're going to arrest people for crimes that have been committed. Um, that's just normal procedure. Sometimes people yeah. can interfere and, and stop something from happening. But generally, you know, the point of, of policing is prosecution not prevention. So there is some prevention that actually occurs, you know, naturally, right? Just cars coming by or police interaction sometimes, or, you know, because someone gets arrested, there's more crimes that person can't commit. So, but it's wrong to blame the police and say, Hey, you know, you didn't show up for this or you didn't prevent that. But that's not the actual metrics. And that's, I, I think that should change. I think we should reward police for making those changes. I think we should give them bonuses for creating less crime, not give them bonuses for having more crime. And currently right now, there's a lot more funding for uh, cities that have more crime or communities that have more violence or more issues. Uh, There's actual funding to help manage those issues. The idea is that if you have a problem, we'll throw money at it. And then, therefore, the problem will then, you know, be reduced. And I I believe in the opposite, that we need to reward police and the public for positive interactions and outcomes. Is this what inspired you to learn the law? Because you constantly talk about people needing to know the law before they engage. Is this incident yeah. with this young woman and her mother what inspired that? No. Uh, I was a private investigator when I got out of the military, and I got a chance to see how the law was being applied by being in court uh, situations and court cases and seeing how the you know, law was applied. So it's one thing for you to think, like, you know, bad people and they get arrested and then there's adjudication and there's prosecution and, you know, the process. But in reality, it's imperative to understand that um, interpretation of the law is everything. So you are capable of creating a a prosecution for yourself, uh, getting yourself in a lot of trouble just because you didn't understand how to articulate properly the level of threat that caused you to take this action or to make sure that you explain things in a legal format, your use of force so that police will tend not to arrest you or prosecute you. And so once you, when, that's why I created my system, because I realized in the 90s that there was no system that was ever teaching how to legally uh, defend yourself just on a very basic level. But then without experience, you don't know how to articulate it, meaning how to explain it and how to use what later you know, I developed, which is psychology. How do we get police officers and witnesses to see things our way so that things don't become problematic later for ourselves, our clients, our families, personally our families, right? And of course, most importantly, the people we're protecting. So you can actually want to go help someone and want to go protect a family or protect a neighbor or a total stranger, but because your actions were deemed illegal or inappropriate in some way, right? Even the excessive force at the end, and you could ruin your life and the lives of other people. 
Now, you work a lot with the laws in your area, and you discuss how you teach your students about the laws before they act upon any situation that they see. Do you have any desire to perhaps change the laws, anyone who may be able to help you in Congress or politics to perhaps gear things or uh, effect change in a way that does allow you and your uh, students or people on your team to act in a way that could maybe offer more protection to the to the public? Yes, it's for everyone, though. You know, so great question, by the way. Um, I don't think no one's ever asked me that question, man, in 30 years. No one's ever asked that question. But that, you but know, it's, I can tell it's you so important. Uh, I'm sorry? I, I was thinking it's so important. If you, it's, it's hard enough to work with so many laws that may contradict the necessity yeah. and needs of people. So I'm uh, just curious if it ever occurred to maybe you have someone who could help you out on a more uh, political scale to affect change. That's right. That's a great question. And, and so... I'll, I'll say this now. After all these years, I now get a chance to see the, the way the laws work, and there's about a hundred things we could change that would make women, children, the elderly, and entire families, companies safer just by having a deeper understanding of how predatory people work, right? How um, we can create through procedures, very simple procedures, how we can create safety. So, for example, women right now. Or domestic violence victims stalking. Okay, let's start with that. Domestic violence victims. Uh, you get beaten, you get attacked. The man still has a right to know where the woman lives, who's accused her, he accused him. So she could move, and he can still find her address in most jurisdictions. It's going to be very difficult to ever hide her address. Even if the man goes to prison for attempting to murder her, he can still get that information. The same is true for crime witnesses. So when you make a statement against someone, even if you didn't want to, they, the people you're, that you're going to testify against because you saw them do a crime to you or others, they have a right to know your address, and their attorney will furnish them with your address. So yeah. That right there is one, is one thing we can change, right? And right. imagine stalking victims. Right now, you have to know the name of the person stalking you. You can't go to the police department and say, there's a guy with a gray hoodie on, and I can't see his face, but he's always walking behind me, and I'd like him to be stopped. There's not, there's not even a category for that. There's, uh, I, I was um, stalked and attacked by a guy that followed me for a long time, and having to serve him with my address was absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And my comment, and when I talked to the police, I asked, well, can I use my uncle's address, or can I do something like that? And they said, no, it invalidates it. So it was yep. the most horrifying thing, and he actually found me again because of that. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's I think your uh, Barry, your question was was perfect, and the, the solutions are there. We can make them very simply. Why do you? Why does a Why does a uh, a gang need to know a prosecutor's phone name, um, uh, a judge's name, or a police officer's name? That name is their family's name. They should all have an, an identification, but it's not their actual name. And the reason for that is to protect their families. So if there's, imagine there's a gang or a uh, organized crime group, a mafia. We don't want them to know the prosecutor's name. We don't want them to know police officers' names. We don't want them to know judges' names because once they know their name, they can then go track down their family members and harm them. So one thing we can do to protect our judicial system, our entire system, is to create a uh, safety net Anonymity. that protects Agreed. the identity yeah. of the people involved. And uh, it's bad enough you can see their face, right? You don't need to see their face. Think about it. Why do you need to see the face of the person that's the judge or the prosecutor or yeah. the jury members? You don't need to see their face. They need to see your face, possibly, but you don't need to see their face. So the accused can see the accuser, right? But the, the, no one else should really be able to see each other, honestly, because really you're supposed to be judging the information. So there's Nothing things we can do in our society to make things safer, more legal, and, um, and also psychologically more appropriate because we all yeah. judge things by how they look, right? So, you know, when you see someone you think is attractive, you believe they're, you know, less likely to be bad. And you see yeah. people that are less attractive to you, right? They probably are not going to get the same benefit of the doubt. And as a result, um, and there's actually been studies about this, that people, the way they look, determines whether they're most likely going to go to prison or not, not whether they did a crime or not. That's, uh, so that's, that's actually an example of yeah. psychology. That's very, very true. I have a friend in Los Angeles. He um, won't even let his family live in the same city because he's with the uh, Rampart crash unit, gang crash unit. So he won't mm -hmm. even let his family live right. in L.A. It's it's terrifying. Right. Uh, we're going to go to break. You're arresting these people and you go to the grocery store and then your, your people you arrested, they're at the grocery store with you. Yep. 
When we go to br- we're going to go to break. When we come back, we are going to be on with Commander Brown with Detroit Urban Survival. My co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, who I guess can come out of timeout now, Bear Fiora, and we'll be right back after this. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back behind the scenes. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We're on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fjorda, and our very, very special guest, Commander Dale Brown from Detroit Urban Survival. And I'm saying it in that sexy voice because I keep getting messages about how cute he is or how good he is. And that was not what I expected when we were having you on the show. So I think you have a little groupie fan base there. Oh, how well, nice. Thank you. <laughs> he's like, his wife is a very pretty lady. I'm just saying. <laughs> he's, he's well and truly taken. Um, yes. So where are you right now? I know we saw you when you were out here in L.A. Where are you now? I'm in Jersey City, New Jersey. And uh, we're preparing for a survival seminar book signing tomorrow at 11 a.m. here at the Henzo Gracie Academy, Jiu-Jitsu Academy. And... Um, the uh, maestre, the uh, professor here, his name is, um, I'm his name right now, one second. So it counts. We, we didn't forget. We're going to make <laughs> you guess. If you write in and tell yeah. us the name of that professor, I'll give you a ride at Off-Road Rentals in Palm Springs, California, <laughs> or I'll give you, I got some giveaways. Just write in and tell us. We'll give you one of the giveaways. We'll make it a giveaway. Yeah, first one to tell me gets a giveaway. Um, so gotcha. it's, it's our test question. <laughs> Uh, where where Gabe, can we buy Gabriel, books? Gabriel, Gabriel. <laughs> now everyone's going to write it in. <laughs> yes. Where can, where can we get your book? Uh, so on Amazon.com, you can find uh, my book and also on our website. And so, um, but yeah, the book is uh, really an insight into, you know, the origins of the organization, why I protect people, why I created the training system itself, and how we used it to protect lives. So that's the one thing I think people need to know is that this training is used in real life and you're going to see and hear stories about how uh, we were able to do that. And that's, I think, what really separates our our videos uh, so much so that, um, you know, again, if you do something in real life, it doesn't look the same as if you do it in just class. And so I think a lot of people (laughs) look at the videos like, that's just so odd. The movements are so different than I'm, I'm used to. Yeah, and me too, because... Again, I had to change the movements because in real life, I'm I'm held accountable for outcome. When my team members went out and protected people, if the training didn't work, there's no referee to stop and start us over. 
you know, their, their entire way of thinking has to be completely different than it was when I was training in different martial arts and sports because the conditions are different. And, um, you know, in our 27 years, none of our people are dead. Uh, we have no court dates, no lawsuits, and most importantly, none of the families that we have protected have been killed in 27 years. And that includes the 5,000, approximately 5,000 families we protect right now, 24 hours a day in Detroit right now. I'm going to knock on wood for you on that one because we want to keep it that way. Yes, absolutely. Yes. No, absolutely. 27 years. (laughs) When you were writing this book, did you have a particular audience or person in mind who you wanted to pick up and, and read this book? And what did you want them to take away from your stories? Once again, bear with the great question. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I wasn't thinking about any particular type of reader. Uh, I wanted everyone and anyone to read it because I want them to know that it's a story of empowerment, that you can make the difference. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to let the other people be victims. There's things you can do to create safety. And because of our experience with extreme bloodshed and violence, I learned how to do it more safely and uh, less bloodshed. And so that's why I'm so excited about sharing this because we ultimately think often that the only way to manage potentially violent situations as well as violent situations is to add more violence. Righteous violence is what I call it. And what happens is the more we believe in righteous violence, the more we believe that violence is right, and even mm. when it's avoidable. So we begin to go down a path subconsciously that, you know, hey, I, I, some, someone makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like them. They're threatening or being threatening to someone. Instead of figuring out a way to de-escalate, right, we figure out a way to, to legally use force, and that's normal, especially from, you know, watching a lot of movies we all grew up watching here in the United States, from, uh, you know, <clears throat> John Wayne to uh, Chuck Norris to uh, Michael Jai White, uh, you know, this is one of my favorites, but uh, these, are, these are movies, and in real life, you don't want to use violence if you can, if you can avoid it. Even if, you're, even if it's legally correct to use violence, you really don't want to, because it really is not in your best interest if you like financial success and freedom. I yeah, actually, you know, that's I, a good way of putting it. I, I absolutely agree with that. I always encourage people to try and avoid fights if at all possible, because at the end of the day, uh, there's, a, there's a certain level of damage and violence that no matter what a direct confrontation is going to involve. And so there's no sense yeah. in putting yourself in that risk. Maybe someone you love is with you. You don't want to put them at that kind of risk. And so there's never, a, if at all possible, I won't say there's never a good reason because maybe you can't get away, but if at all possible, right. you should oh, be looking exactly. for escape. Right. And that's where the, so once you say to yourself, I, I believe I can, you know, I can solve this without violence. I can, you know, this guy comes to you, he's crazy, like, give me money. And you're like, he doesn't know, you don't owe him any money. But guess what? If you can make this person be your friend by giving him $10, 20 bucks, why is that not in your best interest when, you are going to need stitches when you beat him down and his mouth was open and they cut your arm open with your teeth and your hand comes open, you broke your hand on their face. Let's say you win. You totally dominate this aggressive individual, drunk guy, homeless guy, whatever it is, drug addict, doesn't matter. Uh, you, you beat him, right? You win. But the damage to your life, you got to go in the police car. you got to get a good lawyer. you got to you know, blood-borne pathogens. All of that could have been solved with some money. And think about how much it costs. Your, to your life, to your livelihood, to have to go to jail, to have to get lawyers, to have to you know deal with bloodborne pathogens, to have to deal with lacerations of your flesh for you know beating the guy that you won. I mean, you won, but you know what did you win actually? And so once you can look at it more uh, appropriately, you 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 make better questions, you make better life decisions, to have a better quality of life. And uh, you know I, I got a video online on YouTube where a guy spit in my face, called me the N word, threw rocks in my face. Please tell um, me you're it, joking. I'm sorry? You, please tell me you're joking. People don't still use no. that word non-ironically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this guy's, you know, the full onslaught. He's spitting, you know. Oh. And, uh, and I, I missed the one globule of spit that, like, damn near covered my whole face. I had to wipe my face three times. He had to spit off me. And, oh you know, people were like, oh, my God. And so the police officer were like, why did you just beat him down? I was like, well, you know, technically it's just spit. It doesn't really matter, right? I took him into custody without injury, by the way, and, and gave him to police officers. Um, and that's after he broke into two more houses. And that's because we're waiting for police. And during the between time, uh, he had ran on to our private property in one of our communities and uh, broke into a house. As I approached, the police were at the, the, 
the community. So then I came back out. I would have stopped him initially, but police were there. So our goal was to get them to engage and take him into custody. And when they were um, when they were on site, I asked, you know, if they would like me to do it. They said yes. So I went and took him into custody. But uh, so we try not to have contact, physical contact with people if we can help it. And uh, that does not mean we don't take people in custody and arrest them for home invasions. This year, we had uh, several attempted. One actually achieved getting in someone's house, but we get there so quickly, they flee. They don't get anything. They didn't hurt, hurt the people or anything. And um, we take them into custody and we give them to police officers and they get prosecuted by the judicial system. We don't beat them down. We don't torture them. We, we don't shoot them. We can shoot them legally because we could say we're scared. They were reaching and they had a weapon, but we find ways to not do that. We find ways to take them down and, and take them under control if we have to. And nine times out of ten, we don't even have to touch them or take them down because we're communicating with them in a way that makes them believe it's in their best, it's in their best um, interest to simply sit down and wait for law enforcement, which they agree, especially when they see yes. us. They see our, our uniforms are really intense. And so we're just really positive about how we take them into custody as well. I think that's important, important too because you're going to get people who don't – I think that one that promotes a better idea of the community of how to handle it. But I also think you're not necessarily putting these uh, people who are maybe cracked out, drugged out, not in the right state of mind to more risk of injury than necessary or potentially getting them to harm someone on your team or harm someone else in an effort to uh, get away violently. Yeah, I, I was really curious. Is there, is there Was there some kind of technicality where the police could not engage at that time? Um, nope. Just didn't want to go, I guess. Um, you know, you can't you can't force someone to do something, and uh, decided yeah. to uh, to stand by. And and uh, so for me, it's, I don't have time to really go back and forth because the, the community expects outcome from me. So I can't sit there and go, well, the police X Y Z. They're not going to care. They're going to be like, well, you were there. Why didn't you stop him? That's it. They don't care. They don't care if I say the police were standing there and they decided not to take action. Their police aren't going to get fired, but I can be fired. My community, my my company is paid for is paid by people. We don't get paid by the government. So, if the people are not happy, I will not have positions. So we never lose communities, we never lose corporations, because we're successful, and that's because our outcomes are successful to them and their opinions, meaning the clients. They would not pay us if that was if <laughs> if they weren't happy, and that's 27 years. And Do you so find when that I'm, when I'm oh, most? Mm-hmm. Do you find that level of do you find that level of pressure difficult? I mean, you're obviously being asked to do things that, you know, police won't. You don't have the protection or the unionization that police have. Do you find the pressure right. difficult, the expectation of the community on you? No, because we look at it like family. If that was your son, your daughter, your mom, your grandpa, you know, your grandparents, you're going to do that. So, you know, that's just, so you just change your mind from duty to family, right? And that's what we do. We, I train my people to use... Uh, instead of intimidation, they use inspiration to change behavior. The most important thing I find that's, that's vital for our team members is not your ability to fight, it's your ability to love. If you love people, you will protect people. We as human beings will never protect properly anything we do not love, but we will protect what we love naturally. So what I care about is finding people that care about people. If you're a good person and you like people, I got a great position for you, helping the community. We help domestic violence victims, stalking victims, uh, crime witnesses for free for 27 years. So these are men, women, children, <laughs> families, entire families, senior citizens, that <clears throat> when someone's trying to kill them, family members, neighbors, gangs, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, old people, I mean, uh, it could be poor people, rich people, and all different types of levels socioeconomically, um, different religions, um, you know, gay, straight, doesn't matter. We protect everyone, every religion. And um, we have done so successfully for 27 years for free. These people have actual people that are trying to kill them. And there's many different reasons, usually related to something personal between that family and that person, but not always. Sometimes it's um, just some crazy people next door or people that live down the street and then just don't like you and they want to kill you. Sometimes it's that basic. It's not even personal. Now, this is a super... I have to say, when... uh, I was being stalked, and when I was assaulted, I would have killed for an organization like that. I really would have. I think that is amazing. Yes. Sorry, you were saying that? Yeah, I, I yeah. thought we had one. I thought I thought the police were that. I honestly believe when I first started this that all you do is call the police. You don't need to do anything yourself. You just call the police, explain the situation legally, and they go do their thing, and then the bad guys are on. I did not know that 
that no matter where you live, I don't know if you guys saw this, there's a there's an episode on um, Investigation ID uh, where there's three women being stalked in the United States, and they did three different stories. One was in Detroit, that's us, with one of our victims. We call it the Victory Program. We don't believe in victims. We call it victories, so Victory Program. And then we have, uh, there was a young lady, I think, in like, I don't know, somewhere in the Midwest, and another one was in, like, in California. So, so one was like in the middle of America. But the other two girls are dead. They went to the police. They had problems. And they filed charges against their ex-boyfriends. Um, it was just stalking ex-boyfriends. One was actually not even ex-boyfriends. It was a guy who had a crush on a girl. And uh, they were middle class, upper middle class. And um, they killed the girls in both cases. But the girl in Detroit, we were protecting the lady and her, and her daughters. I must have given them like a million dollars in free services over uh, like seven years. Um, and they're still alive right now. <laughs> the guy went to prison twice. And uh, he's he's still insane. He's still out here, but he got out. And he leaves them alone, though. He doesn't go around them. Good. That's good. Does, we will go help them again. And, so, and no yeah. one would expect any less from you at that point. Yeah, it's just, if we bring up mm-hmm. the story about these uh, incidents about stalking, I want to ask your opinion about a more modern event. There was a video circulating around the internet for a hot minute where a guy had actually approached the police officers at the police station to explain his dilemma, where this girl he was interested in just wouldn't listen to the music he had wrote for her. Oh, God, and that he, went viral, yeah. he only knew her for a couple of months out of work. They never had real conversations. And he went to the police station because the dad had threatened him to uh, leave her alone. Because at, at, this, at this moment, mm-hmm. at the, that point, he had chased her down several blocks to get her to listen to the song that he had uh, put together for her. Now, the police let him go. Because they, uh, they, I, I don't know at that point if they had any proper evidence they or a way to arrest him. him. Right. But what do you think exactly. would be the proper way to handle that situation? So what we do in that situation is we actually go talk to the guy. <clears throat> we talk to him, like literally talk to him. Like, hey, how's it going? Oh, fine, I'm, I'm in love with her. Oh, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, she's not interested. And, <clears throat> you know, if you wouldn't mind, would you not? So we try a soft approach first. And then um, uh, we also do electronic countermeasures. So if they're calling, we, you know, we put our voice on there. This, this, this phone number is being tracked and traced. And he, anyone calling this number will be, you know, tracked down. <laughs> it's not true, but it makes them stop calling her, right? And uh, they don't, if this guy still calls, well, then she changes her phone number. So we have counter, levels of countermeasure. And the first one is a soft contact. A lot of times these guys are doing this because there is no intervention, so once they know if intervention is serious, you don't have to even be violent. You can just go talk to them. It's literally that simple. It's like the big brother or the dad that comes up and says, that's enough. That's it. Right? But you can do it in a positive way. And we look so intense that they just don't really ever want to go back and try it again. So you- we, we've got them coming into houses. So you understand, we're, like, we're in the house with our weapons. Um, you guys met my wife. So we've been in a house before with our shotguns to protect uh, women and children because she couldn't leave. So some, what we do, first of all, is we try to get the females, typically, typically the females, uh, to leave, right? So we can leave, get out of the house. We'll extract them. We'll take them to hotels and hide them um, so these men can't even know where they're, where they're at. In certain cases, logistically, that's just not possible because their kids or whatever their physical conditions are, they just can't move all the children or there's, there's some problems, so they have to stay there. In that case, we stay with them and we don't let the guy come kill them. These are extreme conditions, so they're, the guys aren't floating around. The, the police are usually looking for them. They've, uh, you know, these, these are men that have tied up the women, attacked them before, and now there's a warrant for their arrest. And in between the time that the warrant and, and the, the warrant was issued, the time they're getting picked up, there's a gray area where the, where the children and the women are still at risk. And uh, that's where yeah. we fill in that gap, and we just don't let them get killed. Can I ask, do you see with the expansion of the incel community, uh, these guys out there, you know, she's playing hard to get. Um, do you think with the incel community that has made stalking more prevalent? No, I think we just hear about it more. Social media is, is, is letting us see it more. Um, gotcha. Women are less tolerant. Uh, so you're actually seeing everything more. Like police today are more professional than ever before, but people are you know, criticizing police. Um, you know, some things, of course, are wrong, but most police are doing the positive thing, professional thing all day, every day, everywhere. And then they're, you know, because we see these social media videos, you know, it's like, this is the norm. That's not the norm. Negative is not the norm. Positive is the norm. And so, um, these stalking events were always here, right? But they were actually much worse. There's horrible events in our history, in our country with women being stalked and killed. And in fact, in Los Angeles, there was a female that was given a special detail. 
and the officers were outside in this what they call threat management. They had a, I didn't know that they had that, but they had a threat management division in California, mostly for stars. And it was in L.A., and they were sitting outside, and the guy snuck into the apartment building, killed the woman, and then they killed him. And um, <clears throat> but normally, you know, that, that would not even occur. There would have been like a, a you know, they have to go track the guy down, prove it was him. In this case, they, they at least caught him. But, of course, he'd already killed the, the woman. So our goal is to make sure that doesn't happen through this program. And that's why, Bear, I love what you're doing out there in, in California. I hope to, you know, we can link up and you can, you know, be a part of our protectorate where you're actually doing that out there. We're going to, you know, share that knowledge with you and how you can do that and legally be an, an actual um, force of protection so you can prevent these violent occurrences. And it's, this is the thing, guys. It's preventable. It's, it's manageable. It's just the police can't be everywhere. So there needs to be something that protects people everywhere, and that's the people. The police are law enforcement. They can help us, right? They can help us with the part where, let's say, the guy won't be deterred, and you have to, you know, there is contact. Well, that's the police job to take them into the jail. That's not our job, civilian, right? So there are right. solutions, and nine times out of ten, guess what? No violence. But, Bear, because of your skill set, guess what? You're prepared, and <clears throat> mentally you're prepared, and guess what they do? They avoid you. When, they, when you come up to them, and you're a positive guy, but you also believe in yourself. I felt it when I was training with you. You have a strong projection. These guys are not going to ever attack you or the girl that you're protecting, the family you're protecting, the senior citizens in your community. And I'm going to show you how to do that, but you already have the raw essentials. And so it's just about the, the, the procedures uh, and the methodology and how you do it so you do it safely for you and your family as well. Absolutely. So this, uh, this is what I hope to look forward to training with you in the future. Well, I have to do a quick shout-out because I got really, really distracted. Thank you to Tiny Bubbles Hair Salon in Palm Springs, California, for making me look fabulous. Thank you to KM Extend, K-M-X-T-E-N-D, Hair Extensions. They did my wigs that's being put together by Tiny Bubbles so that I don't look like a total train wreck at the red carpets. And, of course, this week our giveaways are from Off-Road Rentals in Palm Springs, California. We have about two minutes left of the show. Um, thank you so, so much for being on with us. Guys, check out his book. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us. Is there anything we have about one minute left? Anything you want to say to everyone out there? Um, just that, you know, everyone should, uh, look at every person that they come across as a member of their family and, uh, look for ways to help people and not allow bad things to happen to anyone. Anything you would not want to happen to your family, don't allow it to happen to other families. Beautifully put. Love it, guys. I love it, sir. Thank you very much. And thank you for everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Some of you are normally better at thank these you. outros than I am, so would you mind taking over? What what outro do you want me to do? No, I'm kidding. Guys, thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Summer Helene. Thank you very much to our very special guest, Commander Brown. Check out Detroit Urban Survival. Um, thank you guys for all of your questions. I know we didn't answer them. I promise I'll try and like get him to come on again because we didn't get any of the questions. don't forget to get that book from Amazon, guys. Uh, get that book from Amazon. Perfect. See, I'm holding you to that. Uh, and make sure you're following all of us online. Follow the show. Tune in, BTS. I know you're following Bear Fjord because everyone in the freaking world is. I know you're following. Uh, Commander Brown, where can they find you on YouTube? Detroit Threat Management Center on YouTube and Detroit underscore dust on Instagram. So check him out, guys. And, of course, I'm Summer Helene, usually half-naked on the Internet, but I guess you can follow me too. We'll be right back next – oh, no, we won't be right back after this. We'll be back next week. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Good night. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the show. Behind the Scenes can be heard live on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to join Summer Helene for more Scoop next week.